You're listening to the Tipsy Nerds Book Club Podcast, your home for the best of science fiction and fantasy with a twist. Whether you prefer your stories with dragons or aliens, your beverages shaken or stirred, fill your glass, relax, and join the conversation with your hosts, sci-fi and fantasy authors and proud tipsy nerds, Natalie Wright and R.S. Dabney. Welcome, Tipsy Nerds, to the Tipsy Nerds Book Club Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Natalie Wright, along with my co-host, the effervescent Robin Schofield. Hi, Natalie. How are you tonight? (laughs) Or today? I guess it's my night, your day. Yeah, we're nine hours uh, uh, time-wise. We're nine hours different. But I think, Robin, you and I are always in the same realm, regardless of time zone. We kind of live in a similar, we share a brain cell. Yeah, I'm kind of awake. And I think it's because you're awake. I don't think I was telling Natalie right before we hopped on this, I was having some drinks with friends and I knew I was going to have this call at midnight, my time. And there was a drink on the menu called Vietnamese cocaine and I didn't get it, but I really thought about it for this episode. I thought that might be whatever that made me would be probably be very entertaining on a podcast. I'm going to encourage that at some point, like at some point I'm encouraging when you come visit, we're going to go have one of those. <laughs> okay. And that will be the last anyone ever hears of me. That's, yeah. that's the end of Natalie Wright. Yeah. yeah. This is gone after that. Okay. <laughs> and, but joining us today, this is super special. We have our first guest of the season, Jen Zep. Seep. See, you get it wrong. It, it's okay. Everyone does. It, okay. It's a thing. I tell people uh, it's like the Z is sleeping. That makes ah. a lot of sense. Okay. Jen C C E P Z. And she is an author. And Jen, welcome to the Tipsy Nurse Book Club podcast. She actually was a winner of a prize at our trivia night. But after this is over, she made me going, Was I a winner? Or was I, did I get the booby prize? We don't know, being on Tipsy Nerds. But Jen, why don't you tell us about what your most recent release is for our listeners? So my most recent novel release is Cloud to Cloud. And I actually wrote that with a buddy of mine, Bob Frank. And it deals a lot with the kind of the ether and how we communicate through the internet and what that would mean if like more paranormal things got a hold of that. It kind of was timely because we were communicating very much through Zoom and everything else. Uh, And this book never really got its own release because it came out right before the pandemic started. And then we couldn't go anywhere, do anything. So it got real weird for a while. And I'm like, this is super meta about my book and things. And well, yeah. now you're here talking about it when Facebook is down. It's I, like, <laughs> I know it's, it's a little creepy every time I'm like, maybe I should stop talking about this book. Cause like the <laughs> world oh, gets funny. weird. <laughs> and what's the, what's the genre of it? It is science fiction. It's very cyberpunk kind of, but it has a spiritual bent to it because it's what happens if the Akashic records, which is kind of God's big data cloud for those who are not as weird as I am, uh, were to connect to our big data cloud. So if you could search your past lives or talk to dead people through the internet. Cool. That does sound very It also cool. ties in with this book that we're reading or that we're talking yes, about a little bit. Does. Yeah, in a weird way. Yeah. Does. So today we are talking about Swamplandia, exclamation point. That's actually in the title by Karen Russell. It was released in 2011, nominated for a Pulitzer in 2012, a a year in which they decided not to award one. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah, there was no award in 2012. So she was nominated. So 
I told my husband, I'm like, is that kind of like suck when you like are up for an award and they decided, nah, <laughs> y'all suck so bad. We're not going to get one. I mean, well, and like, how do you, how do you get nominated for a Pulitzer? Cause to do that, it's, you know, there's a, a level of, of writing. How right. do they nominate people and then be like, well, no, none of these are good enough. <laughs> right. Right. It's interesting. But it was nominated. Yeah. And we'll talk, I think, you know, at the end, we can talk a little bit more about that. Like mm-hmm. we'll have know. more to say after we all we'll talk ha- well, about yeah. it. Sure. Yeah. Well, I will have more to say about that, but anyway, that's the book and it's very different for tipsy nerds. I saw that Robin, I saw an Instagram for posting about it and, I, and she had already started it. I'm like, Hey, it had the word magic on the back cover. Yeah. Like a magical story. And I'm like, Hey, that sounds cool in the swamps of Florida. So let's, let's read it. But before we get too far into it, Robin, why don't you do a setup for us about, so about Swamplandia? Yeah. And I want to, I want to give a little more backstory on how we got here. Why tipsy nerds are doing Swamplandia. I volunteer at the food bank and one of the women who also volunteers there came in one day and she was like, I, I bought this book at the thrift store and it's fantasy. You know, a lot of people who don't live in the realm of science fiction fantasy think that anything that isn't Oprah's book club is fantasy. So I'll just, <laughs> I'll throw that out there. So she tells me it's fantasy and that explains a lot as to how we got here, by the way. Yeah. Okay. All right. (laughs) You're welcome. And I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) So she gave, she gave me the book. She was like, I finished it. I really liked it. You should read it. So I pick it up and it's, it's listed as genre is listed as magical realism, which we'll also jump in and discuss that in a little bit. And so I started reading it and in the beginning, it was something so different from anything I'd read. It was, it's about a 13 year old girl whose family owns a alligator wrestling theme park in Florida, in the the islands. Her mother dies from cancer and it's sort of the unraveling of the family's lives and the downfall of this theme park and the journey each of the three children from this family go on the main character, you know, really wants to be an alligator wrestler and save her family. Her older sister starts dating and I think having nightmare sex with ghosts and her older brother runs away to another theme park and tries to figure out ways to make money to save his family's farm. So it's the story of these three kids touted as magical realism. Um, I started it and I was really intrigued because I'd never read anything like it. So I said, Natalie, we should do this. The lady at the food bank says it's good fantasy, magical realism. And, and, and I don't know if I should keep going. I think I should pass it here unless you want me to just go for my initial thoughts. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's come back to that and let's, we'll do a read okay. of the room, but before we do, let's just let listeners oh. know what we're drinking. Yeah. Robin, what's in your, what's in your glass today? Gosh, I went from being the, you know, the world's coolest, nerdiest cocktail maker to just constantly drinking red wine. Um, but I'm calling this red wine, the red Seth after the main character gets this alligator. Who's like this little baby and he's differently colored. He's red. And so in my lame way to try to be creative, I'm calling my red wine, the red Seth. Seth is what they call all of the alligators at their theme park. Yeah. So I like that. I Thank I you. Very creative. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I am drinking a drink I'm calling the river sticks and we'll get into why that's appropriate, but it's actually, um, release the crack and rum. Okay. <laughs> appropriate for the, the swamp and with ginger beer, it's like a mule, but it's mm. like a, you know, a Car- Caribbean mule with a twist of lime in there. It's actually pretty good, but if I'll good. drink anything with ginger beer. Mm-hmm. 
I'm feeling like mine might be the swampiest of the swamp. Um, so I make wine. Cool. All right. One of the things that happens when you make wine, <laughs> I don't know if you guys can see the giant bottle I'm putting on the table. So you guys can see this. The people cannot see this. I have a giant bottle of what I lovingly called bilge, which we may call just swamp water for the purposes of the podcast. It is when you make wine, when you transfer it, uh, you end up with kind of the sludge at the bottom that you don't really want to bottle for normal human consumption. And so I keep it and I keep mixing it together. So I have right now probably peach, plum, strawberry, prickly pear, um, I'm not sure what else possibly tomato wine is in here. There's a lot of different wines inside this bottle. Are you just just, drinking sludge? It's kind of sludge, but it's really good. She's she's drinking swamp sludge, which is totally appropriate for the show today. Totally appropriate. I love it. Yeah. It kind of looks like mud. Okay. We need you to take a picture with it and the bottle and the glass and send it to us so we can post it on social media for this episode because it's- all right. yeah. Super cool. <laughs> yeah. It's it's one of those weird things that I do. And if you follow my social media, you will find many pictures of way too much wine. Cool. <laughs> so yes. Well there, well, there you go. That, that actually, I think is the winner for the most creative uh-huh. drink we have of the day, the theme yeah. drink. So we're going to do a read of the room. <laughs> How do you want to approach this beast of a book in a way? You know, it's kind of like, I think we should each take initially without any other comments and take like 30 seconds to give your like reaction. And then we don't respond at all. And then we just vomit out reactions to what everyone said. (laughs) All right. right. We're going to put our guests on the spot. (laughs) Okay. I, I started out reading this book and thinking, Oh, this is sure it's the swamplands of Florida, but I grew up kind of in the marshy area of upstate New York and my family had a small business. And yes, we had, you know, some very important family member deaths due to cancer happen. And so I felt very connected to this family in that way of like, oh, this is, yeah, this is super familiar. Also, I may or may not have been a kid who played with Ouija boards and thought that I talked to ghosts and things like that. So all of these things were like, oh, yes, all this stuff. And then it got really sideways. And I'm like, I don't want to relate to this family anymore. This is really sad. And it's this weird sort of odyssey. It's very much an odyssey and and very weird and then it got super dark and i'm going what is even happening is any of this real and i i just yeah is literary surrealism coming back because i've read a lot of it lately and this fits that's yeah, yeah. interesting that was a yeah. good do you want me natalie or are sure. you up oh okay. yeah go for it um yeah, I started out reading it and I, I really enjoyed it because it was something different from anything I'd read. It opens up with the, the main character describing her mother climbing up this platform and diving into this lake of alligators and swimming across. And it was just like garishly amazing. And I, I was really sucked into that. I was totally intrigued by even the sister's possessions by these ghosts, even her nightly visits and the, the sex she may or may not have been having with them. Uh, she gets this mysterious... Yeah, well, yeah, it sounded of cool. <laughs> um, uh, she figured it out early. So she ends up with this like boyfriend who's a ghost. And I was into I was into it. And then 
what happened? Well, a couple things happened. The story diverged into two separate points of view. And one of them was her brother's when he left. And one of them was hers. And that was fine, but it just kept pulling me out of whatever the story was. So it was hard to stay involved. And then there's a lot of darkness and bad things that happen. And I understand I come from a privileged family, but some of it still felt like, you know, at one point the dad leaves for like a month and apparently he leaves often Yeah, like his two little girls and everyone was cool with that. Like the police didn't show up. (laughs) And then the really dark thing happened that Jen is talking about, which I don't want to mention because we don't like to give too many spoilers away, but then there was like no resolution to the dark thing. It's like the whole story was like world building and story building up to this, the dark thing happens. And then, then it's like over. And it sort of was like, what, what, and why? I think that's how I felt at the end. I was like, yeah, but why did I just read this? <laughs> but it wasn't all bad, but it I felt very dissatisfied by the end. So over to you, Natalie. <laughs> when I first began reading this, it reminded me of why I stopped reading literary fiction mm-hmm. in my 20s. Like I had grown up reading a lot of sci-fi and fantasy and then in college and graduate school, parsing the language of books and reading all this literary fiction like Joan Didion and people like that and enjoying it a lot. But then when I became a busy professional and had a little kid, I didn't have time to sit around and read one sentence for five minutes to try to figure out what the fuck someone was saying. You know, it was like, give me a goddamn story with a point. Give me something to hang on to emotionally that I give a shit about. And I'm in, I'm yours, you know, I'm there. The purple prose of this book made me kind of want to vomit. I was like, for the love of God. And some of them aren't even, you cannot be both a line and a smudge at the same time in the same metaphor. That is literally the opposite <laughs> thing. <laughs> she was a, she was a line that was a smudge and I'm quoting that. Okay. So this was bugging me. I never really got very emotionally attached, mm-hmm. but on thinking about the story a lot, I realized that it was making me think about it a lot and it might be brilliant. And I'm going to just sort of leave it at that for a moment that I sort of hated it, but it also might be brilliant. And we can talk about why I think that is in a minute, but we need to unravel a little bit more. I'm also going to let readers know that listeners know that at some point we may have some spoilers because I'm not sure we can really talk about some of it without spoilers, but we'll let you know. You know what I mean? Like, so you can turn it off if you're really going to read this book and come back to it because there might be a moment when we have to reveal something to get into the fullest discussion of it. Okay. So those are my initial thoughts. Like I'm hating it and literally wanted to throw this book across the room. Like what the fuck? I read, Damn a, it, review. Robin. <laughs> I read a review that this woman said she was reading on Goodreads. She said she was reading it on the airplane and she got off and she like pitched chucked it into the garbage can getting off because she was so pissed at it when she got off the airplane. Wow. And I, I was like, I can kind of relate to that feeling at some point towards the, the 80% mark of this book where I was like, are you fucking kidding me with this? And I wanted to pitch it, but mm-hmm. at the end, I'm, I think it might be brilliant. Okay. So, so, so diving into that point. So this was originally written as a short story. And I think, and it, I want to talk about this because I think this also ties into if it was brilliant or if it wasn't, it felt like, so the ending piece that we're all like, what the fuck just happened? That got dark really fast. Like, I think that was the short story was that like oh. the, the journey and the, 
event and the ending. And maybe as a short story, it works because you don't need more than that because that is the, I'm trying to avoid the topic anyway. So the first like 80% of the book or more is basically feels different a little bit to the last 20%. It's like this big, as Natalie mentioned, there's purple prose, there's all this stuff. It's literary fiction. It's fleshed out all these characters, their lives, yada, yada. And then the last 20% like rushes through some really big stuff without any real resolution. And so for me, it's like, I could see where the short story started and ended and where the novel had been built onto it, but the seam between the two wasn't really smooth. Now that might be part of the brilliance. I don't know, (laughs) but I just wanted to throw that out there because it was very evident to me that like, okay, I see where the short story was in this. Yeah. Knowing that brings me to my big question about this. Is the Mm -hmm. red Seth real? Ooh. Yeah. I don't think the red Seth is real. (laughs) Interesting. Yeah. I I, I don't think that, I think the so this book, I was telling Robin before we started, the only thing I told her was, I think I could write a term paper on this book or, you know, like do a master's thesis on it. Um, Mm -hmm. I, it's so full of symbol, symbol and symbology that I think the red Seth is not, I agree with you. I don't, I think the red Seth is a symbol Mm -hmm. and she threw it at someone. And I think that was symbolic, but one thing I'm going to say about her, um, the real, not real, and it's not magical realism. I think the three of us all agree. This is not magical realism. And if no, you this, this is not fantasy at all. No, it, it is, it is mental illness. <laughs> it is delusion and despondency. Yeah. It's, 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 it's contemporary literary Southern Gothic. Um, yes. Oh yes. yeah. But, it, but it's yes. not it is not magical realism at all. No, no. You think it might be. Yeah. It's surreal. You think it might be. And you're, you, when you go into it thinking it is because that's how it's touted, you're looking for it and you're looking for it. And then it ends and you're like this, there was no magic here. I don't think it was just a psychological fuckery. Yeah. But but what it (laughs) is child abuse. (laughs) It's a lot of child. Yeah. It's a, it's an allegory though. So, and the thing, but here's the thing about the allegory. So just in a nutshell, she's dealing with uh, Haiti. She's dealing with the river stick. She's dealing with Sharon, the, the fairy man who takes people in the underworld, you know, through the layers and, you know, Dante talked about this, Milton talked about this. She literally, but one of my issues with her as a writer is, you know, let's say, for example, Tolkien is using allegory. But it's not like Frodo stops in the middle of the Shire and looks at Samwise and goes, I'm Samwise, guess what? We're in an allegory for fascism. You know what I mean? No, no, they don't fucking do that. (laughs) Maybe they will in the Amazon Prime version. (laughs) With with my really horrible accent. That's exactly what's going to happen. No. (laughs) <laughs> you know, so she literally tells you she uses the word paradise lost. She uses the word river sticks. She like her brother has to go to the competing amusement park, which is literally like called something like the devil's anus or something. I don't know. It's, you know, <laughs> it's, it's the, the world, world of, of darkness, a <laughs> world of darkness. Devil's anus better. But anyway, <laughs> that, is that the name of the drink that you're going to make next week? <laughs> My husband and I think we should open a bar at ASU called the Devil's Anus. 
because they're the sun devils. Wouldn't that be awesome? (laughs) Okay. That's an aside. Anyway, if anyone wants to do it, you can steal it, go for it. And I'll come and drink your drinks. But anyway, the point is, you know, right. Like she, she doesn't trust her reader to like figure it out. Just like tell the reader, oh, this is an allegory for the journey. So I, that bugged me. I'm like, don't fucking tell me. Like, so there was a lot of tell not show in the story as well. And that's just one of the pieces of that where it's like, she, she will, she will show you something and then literally turn around and tell you. And I'm probably really a keen to this because I do this when I write and my first drafts are full of this kind of thing. And then my editor, if I don't catch it, is like be browbeating me with it. You know what I mean? Like pick one and pick the show, not the tell. Right. But she kept it all in there. So it's like, oh my God, it was tedious. But that bugged me that her allegory, she felt the need to like be real literal with it. Like Hades is described as a marsh. And so she sets the story in a marsh in a swampland with this river. And she has this literal driver that looks like a bird. He calls him Birdman. And it's all just like so literal. It's like, ugh. But let's be serious. Like if if there was hell, it would be Florida, right? <laughs> like no, nobody well, denies that like the the if there was an opening to the underworld in the United States, it would be right. Florida. Right. It's but like least purgatory. That's where all the old people go. Right. Right. Well, yeah. every time you come back from there, you know, like you're bitten from head to toenails, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you're sunburned, you've been in humidity and heat. It's just like <laughs> right. I, so, I will say yeah. that her description of the swamplands and things like that did feel very much like how I felt as a 13-year-old girl growing up in the swamplands. It's this weird sort of grotesquely magical place. And I grew up, obviously, marshlands of upstate New York, which I don't know if either of you have ever been to upstate New York or any of your listeners know that New York is not just the city. There is a whole lot of empty marshland which is very wet and very sticky and very kind of dark in a way because it's always raining and if it's not wait a minute and it will be so it's the opposite of florida in the sense of like florida is always kind of sunny and this is always kind of like gross and moldy and growing up in that as a young teen and a teenager i definitely would have described I probably do have notebooks full of this description um, <laughs> of those, those marshland and it just how it kind of swallows you up and how it kind of does feel like the underworld and it does, it messes with your head. So I can totally, as, as much as I do have some of the purple prose that happens in my first drafts too, uh, I, it probably comes from that. So maybe, I don't know, give, give her the moment of that's how a 13 year old would describe it. Yeah. That's what, so I kind of thought that I I liked a lot of her writing and I think if she had actually, if this had actually been magical realism, it would have been phenomenal because I think what you said is spot on. Those landscapes lend themselves really well to being these like magical, confusing, overwhelming places. And I think if she had really actually laid into that a little bit more I think it would have been more effective, but going to how you ended this and the, what you just said and tying it into something Natalie said earlier, I was wondering this whole time, like, is this chaotic and confusing? Am am I being drawn in these different directions? And is this story a little weird and whatnot? Because we're getting it from a 13 year old girl and her, her perspective. And so when 
I'm feeling confused or chaotic, or why is she telling me all of this? Or why am I getting this, you know, 40 page play-by-play of a semi-boring journey through a swamp <laughs> with a bird man? It's like, it, is that an unedited novel or is it the chaotic, overly descriptive way a child would describe this? And so it was, that's again, going back to that, is this did this need an editor or is it brilliant or both? I don't know. (laughs) Or both. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about where I began to wonder, like, is it maybe a little brilliant? But before we get into that, I want to take just a quick break and come back to Jen for a moment and ask you a little bit more about, we're going to do a little break from Swamplandia for a sec and talk to you about your novel, because it sounds like, can you just tell us a little bit more about about your most recent release? So uh, it does have sci-fi elements. Uh, The fantastical part of it is the big what if question. And the connection and talking to the dead is something that actually is happening in mine. Uh, (laughs) It is not, there's no, no question of whether or not it is just a teenager's weird sex fantasy of talking to dead boyfriends. I think of tarot cards because I do tarot reading as well. I think of tarot cards and the cell phone in the same way. They're about the same size and they connect us to something that we cannot touch. And if we attach ourselves to them too much, and I think Ouija boards talking in Swamplandia again too, can kind of be equally addictive. We can be addicted to getting those communications with something and connecting with something. Our phones do this and talking to the other worlds does this. So in cloud to cloud, I kind of do make a lot of connections to, well, what if you could just check your future? Like you can check your Facebook or, you know, you could talk to your dead relatives the same way you can chat on instant messenger kind of thing. In the case of the book, it is very much a real thing that is happening. Whether or not we can really do that, I don't know. <laughs> well, cloud to cloud is got actual, you know, like magical realism going on, you know, yeah. like fantasy going on. But my thought about Swamplandia and why I think in reflection, I'm I'm going to reveal now why I think it might be a little bit brilliant. There is the very obvious allegory that she's telling you. And Robin, on reflection, I think that you may be exactly right. I think that what my reaction was is this is so obvious. This is stupid. She's telling me what it is, was purposeful. Because the real allegory is that the girl is making the journey from childhood to adulthood. But the question I have and the implication of this book and why it's so absolutely potentially horrifying beyond just the very awful act that happens. And this is where I'm going to alert listeners, spoiler, 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 because I'm going to have to reveal this. Yeah, you have to. Yeah. Okay. Is she saying that because her and her brother split off and she, her like quote coming of age moment, the moment where her magic ends and her adult life begins. And she says it very pointedly. She says to the reader, this is where I changed. I'm not a kid anymore. The kid was left in the swamp where she was raped and she's 13. 
is the allegory really the allegory of the journey from childhood to womanhood? And is this author saying that becoming a woman is akin to a rape? Whoa. Whoa. Do you know what I'm saying? Think about that for a minute. I mean, basically, is she saying that all women are sort of like raped into adulthood? And why I say that partly is because her brother has a different experience. He is also entering the world of adulthood, but he's been shipped off to work for the devil, (laughs) basically for the man. Uh He's supposed to come of age by learning the hard lessons of capitalism and how his labor, he's a slave with his labor and she's a slave with her vagina. Is that what she's saying? There, go, boom, discuss. And her brother's loss of virginity is also weird. Very weird because I mean, he, he's the hero who quote unquote saves this girl, but he doesn't really save her. And she thinks that he's amazing. And then of course the big fantasy of it comes to fruition for him where like the girl he saves the princess damsel in distress actually does be like, let me reward you with, uh, I don't know. Does he, does he get a blowjob or does he get full sex? It was never super clear on what was going on there. (laughs) Right. I don't know. And also that felt really forced to me. Like what was the point of pretending to drown? Was she, I guess, getting publicity for her family's park? I don't know, but it, it, that felt like a thread that was kind of left also. Yeah. It was very weird. uh, Yeah. Right. But to answer your question, Natalie, also, I don't know. Is my first answer. But the other thing was, it's like, so he, it, it felt like, cause the end, then like the family comes together and they like hug and they figure out how to live. And so it sort of felt like the moral was, well, we all just had this really shitty stuff happen and we're going to sweep it under the rug and, and go on. And I'm sure all of us in our families have been in the situation where like, that's the MO. And it's like, that's not fucking healthy. <laughs> like, like even if that's the thing, it's like the rape was swept under the rug. The, you know, the trauma of her brother was swept under the rug. The fact that these three children were left alone while dad went to work at a strip club, granted his motives were to make money for them. But it's like, I think I left this book. Why I left so dissatisfied is it's like, what was the moral? That's what I'm saying. Because I, think- I, I don't want people to read this and be like, oh, it's okay. My family's screwed up too, but we're just going to pretend nothing happened. It's like, no, no, no. We need to actually like stop doing that as a society. <laughs> That's why I'm saying is, is the implication that the author's portraying really horrifying that it, yeah, that like, cause at the end, the main character is saying all this sh- horrible shit happened this one summer and, and none of us talk about it. We're all adults now. And, and we don't talk about this horrible stuff. And that's, that's just it. And I think that that's true for a lot of families, unfortunately. And mom, really, when you boil down, when you boil down what has been happening with the fact that dad has always been going to work somewhere else on the mainland to support mom's big thing with being the center of attention you want to feel bad that the mom died of cancer, but also you're like, she was kind of a narcissist. You boil it down and you're like, oh my God, there's certain things that are said throughout too. She's like, yeah, her, her mom's moods could be kind of mercurial and mom could have these moments where she wasn't really mom until the lights came off and that kind of thing. It's like, mom was a narcissist who made your dad go work on the mainland to keep this thing alive when it really was never making any money. 
ever. Right. It, it does make you wonder. I mean, as at the beginning, the kid is just like, mom's a star. She looks up to her. She bustles alligators. This is, she's amazing. And she has her family and they're all fucked up, but she doesn't even fucking know that because she's lived her whole life on this island in the swamp. But as the story goes on, you, the reader kind of go, what the hell? You know, <laughs> this mom's like, they, there should have been CPS involved. You know what I'm saying? Well, none like, of them why? were getting an education. None of them were eating properly. Mm-hmm. They didn't have any money. God, there was something else I wanted to say about mom. Oh, but then, but then again, she ties back in. And this is why I'm confused at the messaging of the author. When Ava, who I don't know if we've said her name, she's the 13 year old main character is escaping from this, from her um, attacker. At one point, Ava jumps into this alligator hole and like has to sort of wrestle and get away from an alligator. And she's like, oh, my mom saved me. I think it was my mom in there, you know, with me who, so it's like, she's again, glorifying her mom and her mom gave her strength and courage. And so it's like, what is the purpose of the story to say that people who are child abusers, I'm including the parents in this, because really like the, the parents were abusive. The rapist was abusive. And, you know, poor Ava is now thinking, well, this, the rapist made me a woman and my mom made me strong. And it's like, right. where's the exactly. sequel? That's just the therapy book for all of these people. <laughs> like, Where's my therapy after this book? <laughs> after she's raped, which while she's being raped, she's completely dissociating from it. I mean, she's yes. like observing like plants and animals around her 100% dissociating almost then afterwards. She does not say, she doesn't say that like what happened to me. She says what I did with him. Oh, that's the way she talks about it. She says, mm-hmm. I didn't talk with my sister about what I did with him the bird man, her rapist. She never says what he did to me. It's more like she's owning the act as though she was an, a willing participant and even comparing it to like her daughter, her daughter, her sister, who was, you know, masturbating under the sheets <laughs> while she's <laughs> imagining her ghost boyfriends and, you know, her sister, like going off into the the swamp apparently kind of like searching for her ghost boyfriend or whatever that she was doing. You know what I mean? It, it, so the language this author uses is, is really interesting there. And it made me go, yeah, like with everything you're saying, um, both of you, it's like, this is a character who's like, not really, and she's an adult now telling the story, reflecting on her 13 year old self. So even as an adult, she's not really holding the people in her life who harmed her accountable. She's just sort of accepting all of it as though, well, that's just the way it is. Like we turn 13, the bird man rapes us, you know, we make it through the swamp and there we are. We're a woman now. Well, in this, like also tying in the fact that her sister who she went with this bird man on this journey to find her sister who went off with her ghost boyfriend to marry him. And at the end, we see that the sister had like made a noose and was going to kill herself and, and didn't, but like, that's another like pretty fucked up thing. That's also sort of glazed over in the story is that if this ghost wasn't real, her sister was having psychotic hallucinations and was going to kill herself. And so there's also like huge, uh, well, I don't know. What am I trying to say? It's just like, there's a lot of really big things here. Right. That then at the end, everybody's kumbaya and maybe that's intentional. And maybe that's why she was nominated for a Pulitzer because she left people as 
chaotic and screwed up as her characters. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> right. Well, I just wonder, like, again, like, is that the intention that in reality, so many people go through these traumatic events and the way Ava reflects on it um, as a divorce lawyer, you know, I dealt with women who had survived, you know, child sexual abuse and then gone on to abusive relationships. And this is actually how a lot of women do cope with these things. They, they don't, they don't, they do dissociate. They don't necessarily go through life going, oh, I'm a victim of this thing that happened to me. They will even get into the blaming of them, uh, their own selves for, for what's going on and those sorts of things. So I did start to, as I reflected on the story, I think maybe she's sort of brilliant, you know, in like portraying the true horror, which is not the actual events, but the fact that like so many people have to go through this and this is what they perceive to be like normal, you know, it's the processing of it. Yeah. Right. I I mean, she does say at the end that her sister is on medication that help her to not deal with the boyfriends. Right. The imaginary boyfriends. So, but there's no help for Ava. No, because she never talks about, she never tells anybody and she just keeps it secret. And yeah, she throws the red Seth at Seth at the bird man. I think that is symbolic for blood, the blood of her. I mean, she was, she had, you know, when, when a virgin is, you know, has sex, the, the smear of blood, which she kind of talked about, but I don't know. I, I took it as a symbol for her virginal blood that she was th- symbolically throwing at him. Yeah. Because, felt like, Oh, go ahead. Oh, doesn't she say something about to the red Seth, like the amount of time that she doesn't talk about the red Seth it feels like, like that's your first period. That's your first yeah. menstruation. It yeah. really feels like, Oh, I went into the barn and that's when, or wherever the Seths were being born. And that's where she discovers it the first time. I'm like, all of this seems real, like a surreal way of talking about your first period. Right. If the only thing you know is wrestling alligators, I got to say, if I were to describe my first period as a 13 year old, it feels like wrestling a goddamn alligator. <laughs> and it kind of looks like a red Seth. Yeah. There. Like, yeah. That's not okay. So but then I later could- she's talking about, is anyone going to find it? Like later mm-hmm. in the story, after, after everything, the denouement, you know, she's like, maybe someday someone will find my red Seth and they'll stop. <laughs> Maybe she meant she'll find love. Maybe Maybe. she always talks about it's like in her pocket near her heart. And I don't know. There's a whole lot of like, like you said, allegory. There's so much allegory. So maybe they shouldn't have been, I mean, they were, they were alligators allegory. I don't know. That was a bad one. (laughs) Allegorder. (laughs) Allegory gator. It might be a brilliant book, but I don't want to read it again. Like I wouldn't read it again. No, but I, I kind of want, in spite of our critique, I kind of want listeners to list, to read it if you haven't. And yeah. I want to hear people's thoughts. Absolutely. One thing kind of, as I walked away and I guess was also like mulling this over as both of you did, and you're trying to be like, what? And I was thinking, you know, the rape was so downplayed and it was such a, she was kind of okay. Any, I feel like it was also showcasing, and this might be me reading into it accidental abuse that happens to so many children in society too. So, you know, we, we get to the rape and we're like, Oh my God, the rape, the rape, the rape. But it's like, maybe the point of the story is that like, actually the, the abuse was so much more, um, covert than that. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, not totally, but like, 
these kids grew up without proper education, not always clean. It sounds like, you know, their mom didn't cook them very healthy food. The dad left, you know, by the end, the brother was like also filthy in times, didn't have a shower. The sister was going to hang herself. Ava was, you know, trying to figure this out. And so I, I felt like really maybe part of the story was not downplaying rape at all, but it's like, also the abuse that we should all be affronted by can be something as insidious as this, as like accidental family abuse. Even I don't think either of our parents were trying to be bad, but just the things that children and families go through that are also as disruptive and disturbing and life altering and mentally screwy over a lifetime, not as a rape, but just like keeping them in separate frames. I don't know. It's like, I I was trying to juggle, like, what is the purpose of this story? Is it that abuse lies in all these different ways? And one of them flags really heavily for us, but the other we're like, it takes us a while to figure out and see. And so many people fall through those cracks. And luckily these people didn't fully, but maybe we miss that so often in life. I don't know. Yeah, they I don't know how to about- conclude this, oh, go but ahead. go ahead. Well, the, there was, there were men in a boat that saw Ava with the bird man before the rape happens. And she thinks they're not even real because they notice her mm-hmm. She's like, well, do they see me? Wait a minute. If they see me, they can't even be real. Cause she's still in this magical river sticks ride that she's going on with this bird man. And that's that. I think that ties in with what you're saying, where it's like, she's just so used to no one paying attention to the fact that her family's all fucked up that, but in fact they are real. And that's how she can't they, with their help she is picked up by a ranger and saved from death in the swamp. That was very interesting. It's, you talk about the, the little weird things that you're right. The rape side of things to this girl is like, okay, but this is just something that happened to me. There's a lot of weird things that happened to me. I don't know. What else do you want me to say? I wrestled alligators and didn't die. Right. Yeah, that too. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that was another thing her family let her do. Right. <laughs> but yeah. I think that's yeah. a good point. Yeah. This is just another like weird thing that happened to me in a series of weird things. Mm -hmm. Her dad, who's supposed to protect her says, Hey, our headline alligator wrestler died of cancer. So get in the ring, kid. (laughs) You know, he's training her to take over. (laughs) So there is that. One thing I thought was really weird about this book is I scoured the internet for reviews about, about it, uh, to see what other people think. Cause I was like, what the hell did I just read? What do I think about it? And I thought it odd that I didn't find a single review really talking about the substance at all. Oh. They're all like talking like the New York times or Ryan magazine, like editorial reviews are all talking about like her lush magic, the lush, lush language, her magical realism, her, the magical spell that she casts on you. And they go, th- there'll be these long, like basically recitations of the facts of the book. And then they give like a paragraph, like, oh, it's a lushly realized debut by blah, blah, blah. And that's it. There's no like, oh, by the way, trigger alert. <laughs> they'll say something like and it takes a dark turn in the swamp and it that's it and i'm like there's no conversation about the substance of this book which i found really odd now if you go on goodreads the reviewers there plow into they're saying the same things we are like yes they are yeah and there should have been not a trigger warning but something because you really read this and you think it's going to be this like romp 
through the swamp, right? I mean, I'm going to read the last line of the back cover. Yeah, well, it says, as Ava sets out on a mission through the magical swamps to save them all, we are drawn into a lush and bravely imagined debut that takes us to the shimmering edge of reality. And I'm sorry, the word shimmering is like the opposite of rape to me. Somehow shimmering, the shimmering edge of reality seems like this is a cool, maybe dark. So at that point, when they say it takes a dark turn, I don't know. I think maybe zombies come out and eat them. I don't know, but it wasn't this. And I don't need a trigger warning for that. She and and her siblings kill somebody or, you know, like some man comes and they kill them to save each other or something like that. That would be a dark turn, like stand by me. You know, that that's a story with a dark turn, but not one that makes you go. I needed a warning trigger warning on this fucker. Because and so shame on the people who wrote this book description. Shame on all of them because this is not this book. Like so mm-hmm. at all. I don't know. Okay, so I will go ahead and say I know you're I also do another podcast with Mary Harrington that's casing the cover, and I'm totally gonna talk about this book on that. I, I'm not leaving this book alone. I'm picking on this book some more. (laughs) Well, it needs to, you also, for your own sanity, have to keep picking on it until you have processed it because you're experiencing a trauma as well as a reader. Exactly. I think one thing that's clear though, is it definitely makes you not want to go to Florida. Yeah. If that's the point of the book, I think she did it really well because I don't want to go to Florida. Not that I really did, but don't worry about it. When I used to go out when I was younger, this isn't really funny, I guess, but I'm going to (laughs) throw anytime I'd go to the mall or go somewhere with my friends. My mom would always just say, don't go off with anyone named Ted. And I knew what that meant, but like that was her only advice. It's like, go have fun, but just don't go off with anyone named Ted. And we all know what that means, but it's like someone should have told Ava, you know, it's like the Birdman is Ted, right? It's like every little girl should know whether it's Ted or Birdman or whoever, just like, don't go off with the weird hobo that sleeps in your home, you know, like. This is, I don't know if we could send one message out into the world from this book. It's like, don't go off with weird men as a young woman. Right. Also, yes. Why are alligators named Seth? Yeah, that too. <laughs> like, uh, too. Why? Why are they Seth? Because you brought up the Ted thing. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we haven't even touched on this. Yeah. Why are all the alligators named Seth? And maybe is mom the one who dealt with rape or something in her childhood? And- or her dad was named Seth or something. And now she's just constantly wrestling with Seth. Oh well, boy. <laughs> yeah. That's another. another. Sorry. Yeah. No, I, no so this is, it's... let's post this to listeners also. Yeah. So what, what questions do we have for listeners? Why, why Seth? Why, why did they call the alligator Seth? What is the, what is the metaphor behind that? Also, was the red Seth real? I think that's another question. What do you think about the red Seth? Was it real? Was it the period? What else do we have? Was the uh, world of darkness a real thing or was he just in a world of darkness of his own? Mm. Right. I tend to think most of this isn't actually real. I mean, I tend to think that most of this is from a, like an unreliable narrator. So it was just all of their mental breakdowns from years of child abuse. Yeah, I think that she's she's mental. And one wonders if she also isn't a little slow. I mean, here's one of the things you're Are we talking you know, we're talking about Ava, right? Ava. Yeah. <laughs> not yeah. the author. Okay. Yeah. No, 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 not the author. No, Ava, like she lives on an island, but they receive in its heyday, they're they're having tons of people coming from the mainland. They're filling their their stands every day with people. So she's not like she's been there and she hasn't ever seen 
human beings other than her family. Like she knows people. And so like, now this is a kid, again, I, I wrote this now. Can I refine it on my note? This is what she says. Faith has a power that arose inside you, I thought. And doubt was exogenous, a speck in your eye. This is a girl <laughs> that can't recognize that a stranger is going to fucking rape her in the swamp. And she's using the word exogenous to describe her doubt. I mean, you know what I'm saying? So on the one hand, it seems like she's not right mentally. Like she's not right because of her dissociative nature, how she's describing things. But then she turns around and uses sentences like that, which pulls me out of my theory that the writer's brilliant because I'm like, that's some lazy fucking writing. You know, and there's there's more, there's many examples of that. And if you go on Goodreads, you'll find people yeah. like just with all like paragraphs, many paragraphs. I went, to, I went down the rabbit hole of people's comments on lazy writing from this story on Goodreads because I just need, I will probably go down that afterwards, but I'm like, I'm going in blind. I'm going to see what good. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You'll, you'll, I don't know. You'll enjoy it. It was therapeutic for me a little bit, like taking a warm bath. Cause I was like, I'm not crazy. (laughs) crazy." (laughs) Right. Right. So it's like, I mean, is it really just bad? And we're reading brilliance in my, and I'm reading brilliance into it. Cause I just want to see that there's some reason I spent, you know, that many hours of my life reading so this, or is it, should this have brilliant? been nominated for a Pulitzer? What is the, you know, the last book I read that one did win a Pulitzer prize also had a rape in it. So I'm also wondering like, what is the, <laughs> this was, um, well, that's the lazy piece. It's like rape is the easiest thing you can go to. I mean, that's easy to reach for, but it's, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's don't always include in the final draft, the first thought about everything. She really does kind of make boring all of the garbage that happens to humans. Like Mm -hmm. we have garbage things happen to us. My grandmother died of breast cancer and she was illegally adopted in Belgium. So like, we don't know any one of us could, Hey, by the way, breast cancer, hello, could happen to any of us at any moment. And so like, it's, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, it's just something that we live with. It's very strange at the same time. Yes. Is it brilliant? Is it not? I'm with you on that. (laughs) And I think that's like where we should, I don't know what we're at time-wise. It might be time to wrap it up. And so what if we each go around and say brilliant or bad, would you recommend or not? It's like one final thought. Jen. Oh, she's tagging me first. <laughs> oh God. Okay. Okay. Because I am equally guilty of purple prose and talking about things in ways that I probably shouldn't. I'm going to say that it's brilliant <laughs> in saying that. I will also say that if I were to ever recommend this to somebody, I would not tell them that it is magical realism. I would sell them. I would sell them on. It is surreal literary fiction. And it's from the mind of a 13 year old narrator there's your trigger warning on it. Like right. it's not fun. <laughs> right. That's good. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with you. I think I'm going to come down on the side of, because I've been thinking about it so much, it got under my skin. So it's probably a little brilliant and I prefer it was written with less tortured metaphors because I'm not sure that what the point of that was, but I think it was a little brilliant, but I don't think it's Pulitzer worthy. So I don't think it should have been nominated. And I uh, agree that it shouldn't win. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I think it's an a really interesting, cool concept that is brilliant, but needed some more editing. And even keeping 
if her intentions were to be a little chaotic in the mind of a 13 year old, I think some of the purple prose could have been edited. I think there were things that were left hanging and unanswered that could have been edited. I think that that transition I mentioned at the beginning between the short story and the novel could have been smoother and and more balanced. So I, I think she probably went into this as a brilliant writer and people knew that. And so they sort of let her get away with things because they got lost in, in the lovely sentences at times. And so I would say really fascinating story needed some more editing. And I agree. I'm not even going to say it again. Cause I think Jen nailed it. I would tell somebody about this story, but let them know what it actually is so that they don't go into it being as blindsided as we were, because maybe then you can enjoy it more when you're not like, oh, it's a fun fantasy romp through the swamps of Florida. I think that was the problem is that, you know, I was told that by a friend, but also the book says that everything says that. And so I think uh, listeners, what Jen said is like what you should go into this knowing (laughs) and what we've talked about this time. I wouldn't say don't read it, read it. It's, I mean, it's interesting. I agree. It shouldn't have been a Pulitzer finalist. It shouldn't have won, but I've also never read anything like it. And it made me think, and I'm aggravated and I'm still thinking about it. So yeah, that's good. It's not forgettable. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, it just, it, like I said, it reminds me of why I read fantasy and I prefer it. I feel like, um, you know, you could write a whole paper about Robert Jordan and the wheel of time or George R. R. Martin and a song of ice and fire or MK Jemison's fifth season and how they are series long allegories with tons of symbols stretching over the span of sometimes millions of words that hold up, but they're also a, a fucking fun story to read. You know, So mm-hmm. I just prefer to have, like, I like to think about it, but I also like to like feel emotionally attached, you know, to the story. And this one, I would normally read a story of a 13 year old getting raped and just be like crying and upset and like horrified. I was so dissociated from the story that I was having the same reaction the kid was having. I, I wasn't like horrified. I was a little bit irritated that the, that the pipe for the book sold me a bill of goods. And now why am I getting this in the middle of what was, you know, like, like you said, Robin, this sparkly you know, yeah, it's supposed to be a like you just found a cockroach in your Taco Bell. Right, you know, exactly. Like, I, no, that's wrong because you might no. expect that. <laughs> yeah. It's like you just <laughs> found. You, you know, you're sitting at a Michelin star restaurant and there's like hair and cockroaches, and you're like, "Excuse yeah. me, <laughs> like, yeah, Taco Bell is bad." That yeah, yeah. that's yeah. that's yeah. fair. <laughs> yeah, few pairs in um, your you know like uh, Ritz Carlton. You know, yes, feel. thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. That's wow, what this book is. <laughs> right. anyway, I'm looking forward to going back to fantasy and sci-fi. We're going to read Dune next. And so I haven't read it completely yet, but I look forward to that next yeah. conversation, book conversation we're going to have. But this was a lot of fun. Jen, we enjoyed you immensely. And we uh, we wish you the best of luck with your kind yes, of new- Yes, you added a lot release. to this conversation. Absolutely. We enjoyed it. And did not know you you had a connection to the marshlands when, when we chose this book. Yes. So, yeah, I, I, you guys are awesome. You're a lot of fun. I'm super excited to have worked with you. If you ever need a third wheel again, let me know. Um, Awesome. (laughs) We will definitely keep you in mind. Our kind of (laughs) like our friends of tipsy nerds, our honorary tipsy nerds. Yes. And Jen, remind us now, where can listeners find you? 
on the internet and find your books? Well, I can definitely tell you I am the only Jen Seep, C-Z-E-P on the internet. So if you type that in, you're going to find me. Uh, all of my books are on Amazon, including I have two uh, Kindle Vellas going, which I don't know how I feel about that yet. We'll see how the that world works out. Uh, and so yes, cloud to cloud is available on Amazon. And I also do have a website. It is Jen with two N's hyphen C Z E P and it's a dot square dot site. So, so <laughs> it's just where I'm at with it. People can and find I it. have all my classes and stuff listed on there too. So I do all kinds of weird shit. Very good. Awesome. We like weird shit. And so do our listeners. Yes. <laughs> This was fun. Yeah. So yeah. And thanks for listening, everybody. Yes. Thank you. And if you guys want a a bottle of my homemade wine, if I could figure out how to ship it to you guys, I absolutely would. All right. (laughs) Nice. Nice. She's telling that to us, not you guys, listeners. Uh, Oh, well, I mean, (laughs) if they can figure it out, man. (laughs) Yeah. Well, my glass is getting empty. It looks like yours is too, Robin. So until next time, cheers, tipsy nerds. Cheers, Cheers, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Tipsy Nerds Book Club podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share the fun with your friends and family. Want a recipe for a cocktail you heard here? You can find recipes as well as show notes, episode transcripts, and helpful links on our website, tipsynerdsbookclub.com. And as always, join us next week for a new episode of Libations and Geeking Out. Cheers.